Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We're in the Epistle of Joy, and we're actually, this is the third chapter in Philippians. Um, And so we're in chapter three, and we're in part two. And I'm going to review a little bit, um, but we're going to continue tonight in the verse by verse in Philippians. Last week, we got through the first verse. We did real well. Um, so we will review it briefly and then go into the next few verses. Um, I want to continue to encourage you, as I did last week, to look over or look for ways to apply what you are learning from the Scriptures in your day-to-day life. Believe the Holy Spirit to show you how these truths apply in your personal situations. Remember Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. These words that we are about to study are God-breathed. They are alive. They transcend time. They are not bound by time. Physically, we are bound by time, but God's words are not bound by time. They transcend time and they give us light to escape all the darkness of this world. So let's just go ahead, even though we have prayed, let's go ahead and pray again and release faith. And you release faith for you. How many know the Holy Spirit can say things to you that I never said? Amen. It's true. I've had actually, I've had people when I've been, got done teaching or afterwards, people have come up to me and you said this. I didn't say it. They heard the Holy Spirit. And it spoke directly to their situation. And that's what we're believing for. So even in the study of the word, if it's verse by verse, if it's a topical message, whatever it is, however the presentation of the word is coming, even if, in fact, we had Brother Hagin do this at Ramah every once in a while, he would just get up and start reading scripture. He wouldn't even comment. He just reads sections. And it was amazing to me how the Lord would speak to me in that and I would get an answer to something. And all he's doing is just reading the word, you know? Isn't that powerful? It's simply powerful. But um, because God's word is alive. So let's go ahead and pray. You use your faith where you're at, and uh, we'll agree together. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we, uh, we are coming with reverence toward you and toward your word. We know that your word is alive, and it is sharp, just as we read, sharper than any two edged sword. Lord, it divides out. So we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. I yield myself to you tonight. Speak through me what you would. Emphasize the parts of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the chapter of the scriptures that you want emphasized. Highlight what you want highlighted. And speak individually to each of us. We ask and we, we believe we receive wisdom from you tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody that agreed said, amen. All right. So, we know this. The book of Philippians uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, and it is called the Epistle of Joy, simply because there's so much concerning joy in it. And I want to read the overview that I did last week um, of Philippians chapter 3 from Bob Yandian. And this is just, when you hear me read an overview, these are highlight points in the chapter. So if there are things that stick out to you, you can mark it. But as you listen to the overview, be thinking, okay, I'm going to look for this in this chapter as I'm hearing it being taught. So he says this, 
As we grow in the Lord and become familiar with the do's and don'ts of the Christian's life, it is easy to get complacent. We reason, I know what the scripture says, so why continue to study it? We go through the outward motions of church attendance and Christian service, often becoming overly busy with religious activities. We think we have arrived. Paul, in this stunning chapter, challenges us to put no confidence in accomplishments, reputation, and knowledge. He states emphatically that all these are totally worthless compared to knowing Christ. His advice to those who want to continue to grow is to keep doing what they did to get them that far. Study the word and immerse themselves in the thoughts of God. This is God's plan for seizing, possessing, and maintaining maturity. This is God's plan for seizing, possessing, and how many know we need to maintain maturity? The enemy loves distraction techniques. He loves to get people he knows are zealous for the Lord into chasing things that are religious but unprofitable for New Testament spiritual growth. If Satan cannot get you to hate God, if he cannot stop your passion for God, then he will attempt to get you interested in things that appear spiritual but do not emphasize Christ in you, the hope of glory. They do not emphasize Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this happens all the time, and we'll look at some of these things. I'm not going to comment on that right now because we'll see it here in the Scripture. So, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and if you want to kind of title this section, I didn't do this last week, um, but I want to do it this week. Um, so, verses 1 through 8, if you want to give just kind of a heading to those verses, you could put in there the priorities of maturity, the priorities of, the matur- of maturity. If you're a note taker, you can put that in there. In these verses, Paul shows the difference between the outward things that religious man counts as important and gaining Christ. Now, you're going to find out as we go through this that in some of the things, because it happens to me, um, in some of the things that we do in our relationship with the Lord, we're actually in uh, works rather than grace. And this is, a, this is a tricky thing because there actually are works in the, Christian, in the Christian life. It's just where they come from is always the key. What's the motivation? So in these verses, verses 1 through 8, we see the priorities of maturity. And we see Paul shows the difference between the outward things that religious man counts as important and gaining Christ. The top priority of true maturity So gaining Christ is what? The top priority of true maturity. Now, I'm going to, if we get to it, hopefully we will, but if we get to it, I'll I'll explain to you what what the term gaining Christ means. How many in here are born again? You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, okay? If you're born again and you read gaining Christ, it can sound like I need to get him because I lost him. (laughs) Where'd he go? Where did, he, did he get away from me? What happened? You know, Did he get away? And, and I want to explain what that is. And the term gaining Christ is actually a term concerning spiritual maturity. It isn't a term referring to being born again or salvation. Because there's a process, right? There's a process to relationship with God. It begins with receiving Christ. And then it continues after you're born again, after you're saved, as we say, after you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then after that begins the process of spiritual maturity or what we call sometimes discipleship. 
That's what, because remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, he said, go into all the world and make converts. He didn't say that, did he? He said, make what? Disciples of all nations. In other words, it doesn't even matter what nationality you are. If you receive Jesus, you can be made into a disciple. Praise the Lord. Amen? All right. So we saw in verse 1, it says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Finally just means moreover or henceforth. We saw that the word brethren means it's two Greek words, and it, it is adelphos, and I don't even know if that's exactly how you say it, but the word delphos means womb in the Greek. So brethren is what? It's brethren are, it, you could say sisterin. Okay, male, female, it doesn't really matter. But in Christ, we are all birthed from the same Father, from the same Creator. We are all birthed from the same womb spiritually. We are all born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why you actually can have all different nationalities, but they can be brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because it's a spiritual reality. It's not a physical reality. How many realize this is temporal? Okay, it, this thing's burning up, it's going to die, it came, it originally came from dust, it'll go back to it, aside from the rapture, you understand what I mean? Aside from the return of Christ, Him catching us out of here, it'll be changed at that moment, but beyond that, it's headed for dust, amen, it's headed back to it. Now, most people don't get excited about that, because they're so minded this way, they're, they're naturally minded, they're not spiritually minded. And so to overcome those fears concerning the natural that we live in, you have to get spiritually minded. Amen? And you already have the power to actually do it. It's just a matter of learning how to operate that way. So believers are brothers and sisters from the same Father. We are all birthed from the same Spirit, no matter our natural birth. The word rejoice is simply supernatural joy. It's supernatural joy. It is joy in the Lord that is not conditional to circumstances. It is joy, and usually that's the response you get. People are like, how can you have joy outside of watching a comedy? Or if I can't have any joy unless I have enough chemical in me. I tried that. It doesn't work. The problem is, I was still there after the chemical was gone. That's the main problem. All right? <laughs> so I was like, well, there's got to be. I could not get... Enough, I couldn't get marijuana into my spirit. Do you understand what I mean by that? Okay, some of you do. Some of you are like, oh, no, I'm too holy. So <laughs> I, I've never experienced any of those things. So here's the thing. I couldn't get it, but, but then I heard I was in a service. I was in a place. I was raised around and in a family that knew the Lord and knew the Holy Spirit. And then I was in a service at one point in my life, and I felt the presence of God and the goodness of God and the love of God. And God was saying, come on, Sean, I'll take you as you are. And I thought, you're risky. Do you know who I are? <laughs> Do you know who I are? And, he, and, and it doesn't matter. The Lord knows, amen? And he, he knows that his righteousness and cleansing power is enough to take care of anything that we came with, amen? 
and, and is able to change us and transform us. So thank God for that. So this is a supernatural what? Joy. That means it does not come from your natural circumstances. It doesn't come from my natural circumstances. Do you know you can actually respond to this joy when you don't feel like it? As an act of faith, and it'll change how you feel? How many have noticed that you can do that and it changes how you feel, but your feelings love to revert back to what they see? (laughs) Yeah, we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? So three thoughts concerning this statement concerning about rejoicing in the Lord I want you to see here. The statement by Paul should be considered as a positive preventative to becoming entangled in the false teaching that he was about to expose and condemn. People who are constantly rejoicing in the Lord probably have less chance of succumbing to false teaching than those who do do not seem to consider worshiping God very important. What does rejoicing in the Lord do? If I'm rejoicing in the Lord, then I have to find that joy where? In focus on Him or who He is in me. Amen? Amen? So rejoicing in the Lord, and this is where this alludes to this, but Paul's going to go into false doctrine. He's going to go into false teachers. In fact, he calls them a real nice name. He calls them dogs. He just gets after it. We'll look at that as well. The second thing I want you to see here about rejoicing, because I don't think that's just it. Paul just wrapped up in chapter 2 in Philippians talking about the importance of serving and laying down our lives for the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord helps us maintain strong faith in our service. Rejoicing in the Lord helps us what? Keep our focus. Not only does rejoicing in the Lord help prevent doctrinal deception, it also is a weapon for victory against other attacks of the enemy. So the enemy will come to you and say, this is what you are, this is who you are, this is what's going to happen to you. He'll paint you a a picture of stealing, killing, and destroying. And in that moment, if your focus is right, or even if you're not in that moment and you need a little bit of time, you can refocus, take authority over the thoughts that he's bringing to you, and say, devil, I'm not taking that fear. I'm not going to live like that. That's not what the Lord said about me. This is what the Lord said about me. And then remind the devil of what the Lord said about you. And about your circumstance. Amen. Do you know the word is as active in your life as you are speaking it? It is, spiritual warfare is not physical warfare. I cannot, you know, I've had people say this to me, and I've felt the same thing. They've said to me, you know, I'd like to get my hands on the devil's neck right now. I understand, except we're in a battle that is not flesh and blood. We're in a battle that is spiritual. So if I'm going to fight a spiritual battle, I have to have a spiritual weapon. Come on, and we learn this, and we know, we're, we're convinced of this. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are mighty. So I don't even need to touch the devil's neck. I just need to to declare in my situation, thus saith the Lord, his word. And what takes place? Well, for the person of faith, they know the sword of the spirit is active and the devil is running. For the person, the Christian, the believer that's carnal, they're looking for their feelings to change before they rejoice. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You say, what? Yeah, that's how faith operates. 
Faith says to the mountain, get up and get in the water, go for a swim. And long before it ever sees it, it believes it's already received it. Amen. Amen. See, we are strong in the, and in the power of His might. You know, sometimes people think, they think, well, I'd like to be able to take, you know, if we could just pack Joy up in the keyboard and take her with us, and whenever I feel down, she could just break into song for us, wherever we are. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or if you could tuck a preacher. Listen, there is more word available today and worship and everything. There is no excuse why we can't just go ahead and change how we feel and what things look like. Amen. Amen? No excuse. So don't give, yourself, don't give yourself a spiritual crutch to remain in immaturity. Because the Lord's not providing them. Amen? People say, well, he's merciful. Don't mistake his mercy for him just sitting back and allowing you to remain disobedient. <laughs> I love this. Somebody says, why don't you just go on in the, in the verses, you know, <laughs> get off this. Well, I'm trying to help you get over where you're at. Then you'll have to, you won't have to put in so many prayer requests and get everybody else to try and do your spiritual growth for you. I didn't even wear steel-toed shoes today. You... <laughs> in other words, you'll develop... Now, you can have people help you. We should help you in our, with our faith, and we are. We're, we're actually, people sometimes say to me, you know, pray for me, pray for me. We are praying for you weekly, and some, most of the time daily. Now, if you mean pray for you like you want me to spend four or five hours in prayer for you every day, yo, mama, I ain't doing that. I got enough things I need to deal with. <clears throat> We'll feed you spiritually. We'll believe God with you. We'll give you the word. We'll point you in the direction that you should go. But at some point, how many know you got to put your pants on yourself, spiritually speaking? And it should be a goal. You know, the government wants, wants kids to live in their parents' basement until they're 34. But that's not how God is. He is not that way. He knows that the joy that you desire is found in the fight of faith and the development of yourself in Him spiritually. He knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you. Amen. Amen. So we see that we are to rejoice in the Lord. This joy is reserved for the believer who applies the word of God to the experiences and trials of life. Faith releases this type of joy in our lives. We can experience a supernatural calm in the midst of a storm because we know our security is in Jesus Christ. When a person has unshakable knowledge that they cannot be destroyed, they can endure any trial, affliction, and temptation. Amen. So we know this. We know that the Lord will take care of us. We know that uh, when we rejoice in Him and, we, get our, and we, we focus on Him, our faith remains and we can have joy in the middle of difficult circumstances. 2 Peter 1.4 says this, By which we have been given, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
The promises all have power to deliver us from the per- persecutions and trials brought by Satan and in, in his world system. And at the same time, produce supernatural happiness through them. Rejoicing is the outward expression of inward joy. The calm on the inside flows to the outside and causes praise and rejoicing in the Lord. The second part of this verse says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. The word tedious means, and we looked at this, slothful or lazy. Paul is saying that he is not repeating himself because of laziness, or he doesn't know what else to say. He's not in jail writing the letter going, well, this should probably be four pages long of a letter. I should uh, go over something again, I guess, because I don't know what to say. No, the Holy Spirit realizes the importance of repetition. Repetitious, repetitious, anybody can say that, repetitious teaching is not troublesome for a minister who is truly interested in the congregation's spiritual growth. Repetition is necessary for people to learn. A pastor who does not repeat his teaching is negligent in his calling. 2 Peter 1.12 says this, so this is a common theme among uh, the apostles in that day for writing to us in the scriptures. For this reason I will not be negligent, this is Peter, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. How many realize this? In the natural, if somebody is established in something, why repeat it to them? Do you, see, do you see that? What's, what's the, I mean, Peter, I wonder if Peter knew God. He also understands the nature of humanity. Why do I need to do it, say it again if you know it and you're established in it? Because it's the nature of man to slide away from truth. And the world around you is constantly driving you away from truth. Constantly. It's just that way. It's the, it's the because Satan is the god of this world. He's turning everything away from identity in Christ. Identity, how your maker, your maker from your maker, your creator. Everything is driven away from who God is. Amen. And what He's created you to be. It's why we have such a high rate of depression and oppression, and people not knowing what they're supposed to do and all of these things because the culture and the enemy has done a good job of this, has, has worked at getting God out of everything. You know, people say, well, there's no prayer in school anymore. They outlawed it. And I heard somebody say, as long as there's tests in school, there'll be prayer in school. <laughs> Nobody's stopping that one, you know what I mean? What are you going to do, gag my heart? You, you can't stop me from praying. Even if I'm not moving my mouth, I can talk to the God in, in me, my spirit man. People say, well, how do you do? You talk to yourself inside you. <laughs> you don't think God can hear you? Sometimes inside I'm like, Lord, just slap him. Just slap him. You... <laughs> Disciples... Mature believers are those who appreciate repetitious teaching. One of the signs that immaturity is operating in our lives is that we lose focus when we hear teaching that we've heard before. I heard the Lord say that, and I went, oop, sorry, Jesus. 
This attitude is a declaration of, I already know everything about that subject in the Scripture. Whoo! If you're offended, see Dale. He's doing whole... Okay. (laughs) This verse reminds me that I need to keep a teachable attitude when it comes to the Scriptures. Amen? So repetition does what? Finally, it does this. It keeps you safe, which the word safe means sure or certain to be firm. The negative side of this is to trip up. That's the negative side of safety. The opposite of being stable is to fall. It's to fall apart, to trip up. So we see that repetitive teaching keeps us from tripping. In this case, the repetitive teaching on rejoicing. Have you read through Philippians 3 before? Does he ever mention rejoicing again? (laughs) And people read over it and they go, well, if I felt like it, I would. You realize this is the Apostle Paul writing this from prison. Do you think Paul was in prison crying and feeling sorry for himself while he was writing rejoice to the Philippians in Macedonia? I think he was practicing what he preached. We know Paul said, I have to practice what I preach because I don't want to be a castaway. Amen. So, repetitious teaching brings us stability. So, we see that the repeating of this same theme about rejoicing is for the Philippian church's what? Safety. You know, people will do this. They'll go, they'll be in a service or they'll be in a church. You know, I've talked about this before. And they'll say, well, the preacher preached on that for, he's been preaching on that for two weeks. I need to hear something new. My test is always this. If you're not doing it, you don't need to hear anything else. (laughs) In other words, the Lord says it like this. I used to say this to the youth when I was a youth pastor. I know you got it when you're living it. I don't know you got it when you can regurgitate it back to me. Now, that's a part of the process, right? I mean, you got to have knowledge, but you're not, you're not, it's not established in you until you're, this is a part of my lifestyle. Everywhere I go, Jesus is put on everywhere I go. I talk Jesus, think Jesus, think witness, think being light, walking in peace, walking in joy, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, everywhere I go. Do you think people wondered whether or not Jesus knew the Father. Christians are built, created to affect the culture. You are. Amen? So we see security comes to a group of people in a congregation when the pastor teaches by repetition. The important subjects of the Word of God need to be taught many times over for the people to really understand and remember them. This builds up a foundation in their life which cannot be taken away or torn down through the circumstances and trials of life. For the congregation to reach this point of maturity and for them to be spiritually self-sustaining, they must hear the word of God again and again. All right, let's go down to verse 2 and we'll get into this. If you want to 
just kind of a header to verse 2. Watch out for legalism and dogs. This is a scripture on some people's fence. The first part. People, <laughs> people put this on their fence. Beware of dogs. <laughs> okay. The, Paul goes on here, and he's about to deal with false doctrine. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the what? Mutilation. Beware means to look out for, to perceive, discern, or take heed. It means be aware of this. So Paul's about to go into the next few verses of something that we as believers are to be what? Aware of. We're to pay attention to this. In the word of God, when the label dog is applied to people... It is used in a deriding and insulting way. And there are a few examples here that I could give you. 1 Samuel, if you just want to jot these down, you can look at them later. 1 Samuel 17, 43. David was called a dog by Goliath. And he wasn't saying, you know, what's up, dog? <laughs> or whatever they say. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> It was used of David before Saul in 1 Samuel 24, 14 and 15, those verses. It was used of Mephibosheth before David in 2 Samuel 9, 8. It was used of the king before Elisha in 2 Kings 8, 13. The most dishonorable death of the Old Testament was to be devoured by dogs. Now, I know what people think today. They think, not my dog. But you've got to understand the history. Dogs back then were like packs of wolves, and we'll look at this in a minute. But they weren't pets like we have today, or some people have, I don't have. But anyway, we see uh, to be devoured by dogs, 1 Kings 14.11, 1 Kings 16.4, 1 Kings 21.19, and 1 Kings 21.23 and 24. Dog is often used by Jews to describe Gentiles. If you weren't born a Jew, guess what you are? A Gentile. People say, no, I'm Scottish. Gentile. <laughs> Everything outside of a Jew, nationally, in the Bible, as far as that's concerned, nationally, is a Gentile. Okay? Uh, talking about naturally now, especially in the Old Testament, of course. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said, do not give what is holy to the what? Dogs. Oh, that's nice. You know, he probably was winning friends and influencing people that day. Dog is used to describe unbelievers, 2 Peter 2, 21 and 22. Criminals are those who live in violence and are, and are uh, described as dogs. Psalms 59, 6 and Psalms 59, 14. King Saul's greatest general was a seducer of women and was described as a dog. In 2 Samuel 3, verse 8, we see that. Dogs were used to administrate the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah 15, 3. Jesus used the term dog to describe someone unworthy of receiving blessings. How many know Jesus called that, uh, the woman a what? A dog. How I many you know that would make the headlines today? The Syrophoenician woman. 
Preacher calls lady single mom <laughs> with demon-possessed child dog. And they wouldn't even report that she, her daughter was delivered of a demon. They'd just report that Jesus, because they paint the picture any way they want. Amen? <laughs> In the ancient world, dogs were scavengers who carried diseases like the coyotes and wolves of today. They roamed in packs and were dangerous to humans. They could, only haunt, they could not only harm but kill if, if uh, cornered and were hated and feared by the people in the cities. Paul uses the label dogs by analogy to warn the Philippians and us about spiritual dangers. Paul compared false teachers to the dogs of his day, scavengers who came from outside, traveled in packs, and could prove deadly. Although the Jews were often used, although the Jews often use this term to describe Gentiles, Paul now uses it to describe false Jewish teachers, scavengers of the local churches Paul had helped establish. They constantly tried to bring legalism where Paul had taught grace. They, they, uh, these men presented themselves as spiritual teachers, knowing the deeper things of God, but Paul now exposes them in this verse for what they truly are. Paul calls the teachers evil workers. These are still the dogs referred to before. These teachers are evil workers because they are actively opposed to the gospel of God's grace. These men present, now listen to this carefully, I want you to hear this, because this is just as true today as it's ever been. It just doesn't have a Jewish label. Okay? So listen to me closely here. These men present human good works as a means to attaining heaven. They present human good as divine good. They seem sincere and convincing, but they are dogs nonetheless. How many times have you shared your faith with somebody and they say concerning Christ and salvation, they go, well, I'm a pretty good person. Compared to what? That's what I want to know. What good works is a person going to bring before the judgment throne of God and go, my eternity will probably be safe with this. I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I was good at not being saved. I was real good at it. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, I'm not looking for an award. I'm sure others have been better. But I knew in my heart, I'd lie to your face. Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. But I knew in my heart, when I die, it's over. And some days I thought I was going to die. I'm talking about physically. In other words, how many know this? Good works is not enough. This reference to the circumcision, where Paul says, uh, talks about the concision or the mutilation, is what he uses the word, because he calls them mutilators. This reference is to circumcision, and it is an evil work that Paul mentions. The Jewish teachers would follow Paul and add to the message of grace by saying that, by saying that circumcision increased spirituality. 
They, this distorted the simplicity of the plan of God and caused great confusion in many churches that Paul uh, planted and started. What these false teachers claimed was needed for salvation in circumcision produced nothing more than mutilation in their bodies and the bodies of those who followed their teaching. Their teachings had no value in salvation. Paul says of them that their act of circumcision that they feel gives them special status before God is nothing more than the horrible mutilation of the flesh. That's what it is, right? These individuals were Jewish Christians who felt that the only way Gentile believers could be a part of the community of faith was to observe the ceremonial law, including the ritual of circumcision. I wonder if we could really understand what Paul felt about these teachers that followed him. All sarcasm intended in that statement. I mean, he just rolls out the red carpet. Y'all are a bunch of dogs, evil workers, and you're mutilation. Be blessed. <laughs> right? So what do we see? We see, um, Paul goes on to say this, and we'll stop in verse 3 right here. Let's look at verse 3. Paul goes on to say this after, after calling out these guys, and he'll give more, a little more detail here, but he says this. For we, who? The church. We are the what? Yeah. Who worship God in the... Rejoice in who? Did we ever read Rejoice in Christ Jesus before? Did we, did we read that earlier? And have no confidence in the... How much confidence in the flesh? This is the explanation of the previous uh, phrase, beware of the concision. Those who have accepted the Lord as, Lord as Savior, Jesus as Savior, are the circumcision. So, how many have received Christ? Say it with me. I am the circumcision. Now, I'm going to explain to you how. Now, this really doesn't make sense naturally for women. Am I the only one that catches on to this? Okay. <laughs> All right. I didn't think, you know. I am, I am willing to speak it. Okay. God gave me a mouth and I'm going to use it. All right. So, <laughs> but, but when we understand the spirit, then the flesh doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter in a broad, you know, I'm, I'm saying that in a general sense. The fleshly rules and regulations of law and the things that were under the old covenant don't matter because this is an act of the Spirit. It's not an act of the natural flesh. In Christ, is there male or female? No. That's what the Scripture says, right? The scripture says in Christ. What does that mean? That means in the spirit, we don't identify like we do in the natural. In the spirit, when we're born again, God doesn't look down and go, well, that's a, that's a male. That's a, no, I can't, I can't do it because how can I? Nope, nope. In the spirit, it's circumcision of the heart, not the flesh. 
Now, when I say heart, I don't mean blood pump. I mean your spirit man. You on the inside. Okay? Watch this. What it does, what is done to our bodies may help us in the physical or natural realms, but it will not help us spiritually. God sees us as already spiritually circumcised in the heart. Romans chapter 2, verse number 28. For he is not a Jew who is one, what? Outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is, that which is outward in the flesh. Verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without, what? Hands. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision in the New Testament is a type of the law and includes those who live by the law in in an attempt to earn salvation. Anyone who has added works to the plan of salvation or spirituality is of the concision. Now you know, we, we talk about you're saved unto good works. To perform them. But you are not saved by works. You are not saved by what you or I have done. You are saved by grace through my total salvation. Now watch this. And spirituality comes from grace and grace alone. You cannot earn your salvation. I love this because it'll make you think. And you need to think. You know, sometimes people are like, oh no, I'm just spiritual. I just want the Spirit of God to move all the time. I don't ever want to think. It shows. (laughs) No, you need to think. Remember, we've said this before. Your your mind, you're you're, you're not transformed by the removal of your mind. It's the renewal of your mind. You've got, you've got to change the way, I've got to change the way I what? Think. Let me read a little bit more because I don't want to leave you totally hanging here. In other words, our total salvation is dependent on God. He has provided everything for us. Even our works of righteousness come from the provision of His grace. Well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good on my own. Let's ask Jesus. If salvation was possible by works, why would Jesus come? What's the point? 
See, this is where deliverance is right here. This is how you get free and stay free. Amen? This is how you get free and what? Stay free. You begin to understand, even my good works, I've tapped into the seed of resurrection within me. People sometimes, sometimes want to take credit for things. You know, they're like, somebody will come up to them and go, man, you really built a business here. You know, talking to a business owner. Actually, they wouldn't even have heartbeats or be on the planet if it wasn't for God. Well, yeah, but you used, I mean, you used what, what God gave you. Right. What God gave me. We want to take credit for things. Religiously, we want to be like, well, you know, I kind of had a hand in it, you know. You're like, we're going to get up to the throne, you know, after, we're, after this is all said and done, get into heaven and go, God, you know, whew, I'm thankful for the blood and the body of Jesus and for your spirit living in me. And I know you had to pull out the old sinful heart and put everything brand new in there. And then you had to empower me to be able to conquer my flesh and its desires. But, you know, I probably did something, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really think about it. How's your heart beating right now? Are you doing it? Well, there's electrical impulses, and, uh, uh, you know, people say, well, <laughs> it's a process of evolution. Yeah, I know, from the goo to the zoo to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, some people are making a strong argument for evolution in how they live, <laughs> but we can help them. <laughs> <clears throat> how much grace am I functioning in right now? Shoo! You know why that's powerful? Because now I know where the source is. And so when the challenges come up, that in me and my mind go, how are we going to do? And we'll go, oh yeah, I wasn't doing any of this anyway. I was just tapping into what he put in me. Come on. This is so good. In other words, we put no confidence in the flesh. We put all confidence in who? Christ Jesus. And the power of His what? Resurrection within me. The strength of His power has given me the ability to function outside the realm of human limitation. And He does it for what? Your and my good and His what? Glory. You say, what does that mean? That means everywhere we go, we're a living, walking witness of the resurrection light of Jesus Christ. So that when humanity looks at us, they go, how do you do that? And we don't go, well, I got a seven-step program that I go over every night. <laughs> I, I, I go visit my motivational speaker once a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm living a grace-filled, empowered life because I found the one that gives it to me. And it wasn't because I earned it. Because if you 
if, if we go by what you know, we could come up with, we probably wouldn't even be born. We'd live a short, miserable life and die prematurely and go to hell for eternity. And people say, no, don't say that. We're all good and we're all going to make it. You will not make it without Jesus. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And any honest human knows who they are without Christ. If they're honest. I had a guy tell me one time, go ahead and stand. That way I'll stop. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Did you get anything? I know. We're slamming truth down. How many love the wild Holy Ghost meetings we had? I love them, man. I love those services. But we need this too. I know this. The more, the, as we continue to be balanced in this, boy, those, those services where God's moving by His Spirit, it's just going to go up and up and up and up. Amen. It'd be good. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's about his nature and us tapping. And we're going to see this. We get more into this. It's about his nature and us. We received him in salvation. And then human religion will come along, come along and they'll say, I say, oh no, you've got to add this and this and this to your salvation to make sure that you do it, that you, you got it. You know, you got to get circumcised, and you got to you got to obey the feast, and you got to eat like a Jew, and you got to. I'm not. This there's nothing new. This is going on today. Actually, to be saved, all I have to say is, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life, and you paid the full price for me, and I'm saved. I'm in. I mean, I'm not depending on anything. People say, well, you're a pastor. You know, that's got to be worth something. <laughs> like I anointed me, right? Like I, I figured, you know, I was in eternity going, what do I want to be? <laughs> you know, having conversations with God. God, you know, no. Paul actually got to the point where he said, Everything of my effort and what I did is dung. Refuse. It's poop. That's what it means. <laughs> Paul was a great preacher. He called other preachers dogs. <laughs> and he referred to his own good works as poop. I love it. How'd I got along with Paul? Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.